0: A huge thank you to Timber.fm for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Timber.fm is a unique publication. They're unique because they interview podcasters and write in-depth articles about their shows. This allows you to discover new podcasts without having to invest hours of your time listening to new shows that you may not even enjoy. Or, if you're a podcaster like me, you can use it to learn about what worked well for other shows. The best part is that Timber.fm is totally free. I've just signed up to their newsletter, so I know when new stories drop. So head over to Timber.fm and check them out. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by my company, Horns Voding. Horns is a husband and wife run business based in what would have been the heart of Viking Britain, Yorkshire. We specialise in drinking horns and horn mugs, which are entirely handmade by me in our own workshop. We sand, carve and polish each piece before lining the inside with a food grade beeswax. All horns and mugs can now be customised by adding a copper or brass rim. Or by adding a name in either English or runes. Or you may wish to add both. We're offering listeners to this podcast an exclusive deal of anything store wide. Simply use the code HORNS10 at checkout to save yourself, you guessed it, 10% off your order. Head over to www.hornsofodin.com to check out our extensive range of products. Right, let's get into the show. Welcome to the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farron, co-owner of the company Horns of Odin, and I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Matthias Nordvik.
1: Hello, everyone. Yeah, so this time um, I get to introduce our, our, our guest. Uh, we are talking with uh, Amy Jeffett who is uh, a researcher in the Viking Age um, and uh, uh, Amy, as far as I understand, you work a lot with uh, gender in the Viking Age. Aside yep. from that, you also have a, a podcast, um, "The Vikings Are Gay," um, mm-hmm. which I think is a really cool <laughs> title for a podcast. <laughs> it's probably the best <laughs> podcast title I've ever heard. Right. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> and and you um, you also edit the uh, um, journal called Kungaví, right?
2: Yeah, I'm the general editor. Yeah,
1: Yeah. so let us hear a little bit uh, about all of these things. Um, Of course, first of all, welcome to the podcast.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. Um, Yeah, so I do a lot of stuff on Viking gender and Viking queerness. Um, My research primarily um, is about... Uh, viking religion so kind of yeah norse mythology yeah so i edit the journal i founded it about two years ago now because we realized that there was no real space for students particularly but also academics in general to kind of really speak about uh gender and queerness surrounding the viking age and we felt that a lot of this work was coming particularly from students so we decided to set up this journal it's peer-reviewed it's you know academically rigorous um but a really good space for people to also explore publishing for the first time, which we found has been really beneficial. Um, And then I also run the Vikings are gay podcast. So it's uh, much more sporadic episodes than you guys do. Um, But I've done a few episodes so far, um, mostly focusing on queerness in mythology, but I also did an episode on Black Lives Matter um, because I feel that anti-racism also comes in very importantly with queerness.
1: Right. Yeah, um, no, that sounds really interesting. So, uh, I would like—I'm very curious to—to to, so to be honest, I mean, uh, both me and Daniel are are very white cis males, <laughs> so so we would we would like to 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 learn uh, uh, whatever we can from you on on this subject. Um, so, could you like just give us a brief rundown? What is uh, queerness in context of Nordic mythology?
2: So I use queer as quite an umbrella term. So anything that is outside of like the what I refer to as the cis heteronormative patriarchy. Um so the idea.
0: Right.
2: It's yeah, so it's the big structure that we all function within that basically says that if you are uh born as a cisgender person, so you know, you live your entire life with your gender matching what the doctor said you were born as. Um, So if they said you're a boy when you were born and you're still like, yep, that's me, then you're cisgender. Mm -hmm. Um, It also uh, the idea of cis men and cis women always being attracted to each other and always functioning within that structure. And then also the idea of the patriarchy and how men are inherently uh, more valued within that structure and masculinity as well. So not just men as an individual people but the concept and construct of masculinity um so queerness is kind of a space that challenges that so i personally wouldn't use the modern language of lgbtq to talk about the past because it's such a specific modern construct but actually we can still see queerness in the idea of various figures who Um, act outside of their gendered ideas or um, two women being buried together and kind of what does that mean Um, for example uh, you also get figures like the individual buried in BJ581 um, which I've uh, there was recently a news article that went you know it got some attention um where in neil price's new book he talks about the fact that this individual could be a trans man um which is something that i'm also working on and uh that was picked up by quite a few people who were very angry about that idea because it goes against our standard of cis heteropatriarchy and what we think that should look like um so queer is basically anything that challenges that
1: yeah, yeah. So, so that particular case you're talking about—that's a grave in Birka, in uh, in Sweden, right? And is it from the early 900s, or or is it late 800s? I can't remember. I
2: can't remember the date no. exactly.
1: But, it's a, but, around
2: but it's the then. Viking
1: Age, <laughs> right? It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's that's a grave. Uh, where you you can rightfully question uh, what kind of gender identity this individual actually had, right?
2: Yeah, and I think a really important part of the discussion around this is that we can't say either way. We can Mm -hmm. never definitively say this is what this individual identified as. I think what's really interesting is that there are so many possibilities and it's our job as scholars to explore what these could be.
1: Um, Mm -hmm. So this
2: individual who genetically and osteologically is considered to be a woman that's what the um, evidence in that way tells us but they were buried as a warrior that that's what it appears to be and obviously that's kind of led to the discussion of is this you know a female viking warrior which absolutely could be Um, but I just think that we should also be exploring the possibility that this could also be a trans man right would never know we'll never know but it's our job to explore whether that possibility is there or not
1: yeah and it, you know it's i think it's a it's important for our listeners to uh, to also take note of this that, that you're pointing out that uh, uh <laughs> that it's our job as scholars to to uh explore these different directions like well, what what are we um like basically uh uh Explore the totality of reality here, right? Like, um, what are the uh, possibilities of interpretations here? And that doesn't mean necessarily that when, you know, somebody is talking about this particular uh, individual in uh, from the Viking ancient Birka as a possible trans man or something like that, that's not an attack on, on anybody's uh, masculinity, neither the Vikings nor uh, modern Uh, white cisgendered males like (laughs) myself
2: (laughs) yeah absolutely and it's also there's been a lot of people angry at me for saying this because they view it as an attack on women um and kind of taking away this you know strong powerful figure of a woman that they have um and rewriting history and particularly in the context of um the british uh attitude around trans people at the moment is incredibly toxic and there is a huge wing of people who claim to be feminists but absolutely hate trans people and are doing everything they can to remove trans people's rights. Um, So there's been a big group of them who are very angry at me for making this claim because they Mm. see it as me taking away um, their, you know, big, strong, powerful woman. When actually I think what we need to be doing is analyzing what do we mean by being a powerful woman, being a strong woman? Does it have to be defined through doing masculine roles?
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good I point. I
0: think we've I think we found before, you know, with I think the first episode we ever did was on the Shield Maidens and
2: yeah.
0: you know Mateus wasn't able to say yes, there was this warrior cult of women that went out for sure. And not many people like that idea. I think a lot of people are married to I think a lot of people just think without a doubt that they were women warriors in the Viking Age. And if you dare even question that you get attacked very quickly, especially on kind of you know as I've mentioned on here before the the whole Facebook groups that i I like to lurk around in sometimes, and you know <laughs> you, you see it time and time again if somebody dares to say, you know hang on a minute, there isn't much evidence to support there being a lot of shield maidens, then you know it's it's you get jumped on very very quickly by kind of like sort of fans of of nostalgia.
2: Yeah, something that I've been uh, looking into as well in regards to this that I think is a really interesting perspective is, again, questioning kind of it's not inherently about queerness, but it still comes into that mindset of questioning how we view power and how we view these structures. Um, I've done some work on the idea of the kind of the masculinity of the warrior hall and how actually when we look at the sources, there are always women in these spaces. They're not there as warriors but that doesn't mean they don't have power you know we see the valkyries we see um the uh, motif of women serving mead in a certain order to establish the uh structure of power amongst the men um and i th- and you know you kind of you're always going to have women in those spaces you have uh women following uh the battles and kind of looking after the men feeding them things like that and i think it's really important that we understand that These don't have to be kind of uh, in superior and subordinate positions. And actually, there's an equal balance between them. There's a kind of um, harmony and they work Mm -hmm. together. And you can't have one without the other. And actually, in some ways, you cannot have the battles and the warriors and the men doing this stuff without the women. So I think it's really important that we understand that power doesn't have to be defined through masculinity and through those uh, behaviors and those patterns
1: yeah no I, I mean that that makes a lot of sense I, I, it's one of the things that i always uh, like to point out when we uh, talk gender in in, uh, in context of the viking age is that uh, it, you know historically uh does there's, there's pretty much at any point in time in 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 uh, known history i guess uh, of, at least for the last thousand years been uh, a woman in uh, on a throne somewhere in, in Europe for instance um and uh, you know if if we if we really want to you know uh, mesh your length here um I guess the largest uh, kingdom um or unified kingdom uh all of the largest unified kingdoms european ones at least uh, were ruled by women like we have margaret the uh, ruling the Kalmar union which uh, include all Scandinavia and uh, and Greenland you have uh you know queen victoria is of course a, a pretty uh, considerable example <laughs> catherine the great right um so i mean you know when when we want to uh, like if we if we want to think in in those um ideas of like gender that uh, that have been really defined by the 20th century primarily that you know a lot of people nowadays are like that makes them uh maybe hostile or or um at best disinterested in 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 talking about queerness right um, we should point out such things in in uh, in the contexts where they're relevant uh, I would say
2: absolutely and I think it's really interesting that you bring up Queen Victoria in that because that kind of links into this idea that I'm working with that just because you have a woman in power because you have um this sense of you can see this strong, powerful woman in history doesn't mean that she was a good person or did good things. So, Queen Victoria ruled Britain at one of the heights of colonialism, which is, mm-hmm. you know, without a doubt, one of the worst things that happened to millions of people around the globe. Um, yeah. You know, it was something that actively harmed, particularly black and brown people, um, with absolutely no concern for how they felt. Um, and I think that's a really interesting example of that kind of cis-heteropatriarchy in action. Of, and it's linked to white supremacy that actually just because you've got a woman in power doesn't mean that it's a good thing for anyone.
1: No, and that's also an interesting thing. Speaking just specifically about Victoria, right? Uh, Victoria identified uh, as him on on certain statues I've seen, right? Um the, there, are, there are some uh, statues uh, or busts of her uh, where it says him. Is that Ooh, not the I've case? Oh, I've never seen that. It I'm, I'm, I mean, could be. Yeah, I... Let me just google that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure.
2: <laughs> I've not really paid attention to the statues of Queen Victoria to be honest.
1: <laughs> Fair. Uh, I'm I'm not sure if it's uh if it's just a uh something I came up with in, uh, in my head. Um <laughs> <laughs>
0: it Seems like a very specific thing to just come up with in your head though uh
1: it is. Yeah. No, maybe maybe I'm just wrong. Um Anyway, please go on. I'm not that big on modern British history. <laughs> <laughs> Neither am I.
0: I mean, for me, I have to say this is probably one episode that I've been really excited to do, but also absolutely terrified. Just for the the, the fact of not wanting to say anything wrong. And I guess you probably get that a lot in your, in your life, that people are scared to... Uh, to say things just out of fear of of offending and yeah I mean there's a lot of things that I kind of want to ask throughout the episodes and try and learn.
2: And I think that's one of the really wonderful things is being able to have those open conversations Um, and I think being able to kind of learn from each other is an amazing thing and yeah I do get it a lot that people are like well I don't want to say the wrong thing I don't want to offend someone so I'd rather not say anything when actually I think we all need to be learning, we all need to be doing better and we all need to be saying to each other, it's okay if we make a mistake, let's try and learn and not make that mistake again and not do anything with malice. And I think that's all we can ever really do for each other.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, I'm a I'm a huge believer of debates. Like I love debates and I think people should debate more often. And I think people suit, if you have a debate, a lot of people look at it and think, oh, well, they're just arguing and it's we well, you're not, you're both putting your side, you know, you both putting your side forward and listening to each other and you learn and you understand different points of view. And that's how it should be. But so many people kind of shy away from that and shy away from having these difficult conversations and kind of just live and exist in their own little echo chambers that Facebook gives us. And you don't get out and speak to other people.
2: I think in part that's because a lot of people don't know how to debate in a way that is respectful as well. I think we see a yeah, lot of people who kind of do a lot of straw man arguments and things like that, ad hominem, is that the right word? Kind of attacks on people's um, personalities and who they are yeah, as so, people. Expe- I think especially,
0: especially when you try to debate online, Yeah. it's so easy for people to become offensive because there is no, especially if if they're losing the the debate, it's easy to become you know offensive and then, because there is no comeuppance to that. It's not like, you know, anything can happen to them if they start being wildly offensive off the back of that. Absolutely. So, as we were talking about before, um, you identify as non-binary. Non-binary. Is that, is that right?
2: Yeah. I've got, I,
0: feel, <laughs> I feel like I have to be really careful with my words. And it's, like you say, if I, no, if I do okay. say anything, then it, it's not out of malice. It, it's literally out of ignorance. And that's why Absolutely. these conversations are, are great to have. Um so... I mean, but getting back to kind of like the Viking Age, other than than the grave we've just spoke about, is there any kind of evidence or source material to suggest like people were fluid with their gender or even kind of went completely the other way and and sort of with trans?
2: I think there's a lot of evidence, really. Okay. I think there's a lot.
0: Sorry, just to jump in, one thing that I wanted to ask before. um, When you said trans man... Mm-hmm. Is that so, so just like so clear up in my own head and probably for yeah. a lot of other people, is that when a, a lady transitions to a man? So yes. that would be trans man and then yeah. trans female would be the other way.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So um it kind of is a term that respects the fact that someone who is a trans man is a man. And you have those as two separate words, you don't push them together. There is a space between, um, and it's an adjective. So they are a trans man in the same way that someone could be a thin man or a hairy man. Um, okay. And it just kind of adds that element of a descriptor so you know a little bit more information about them.
0: Okay. That's, I just wanted to clear that up in my, in my Yeah, right absolutely. Head. No, I, that's like something
2: you, that could be quite confusing.
0: Obviously, the cogs were turning in my head and I was sat here thinking, you know, just want to make sure it's which way. Yeah.
2: Around.
1: No, it's it's the same for me. I I uh, uh, Despite all my education, I was also like, is that which one? Uh, so, yeah, no, thank you for clearing that
2: yeah. up. Yeah, and, and absolutely thank you for asking, because obviously I've been kind of in this little world now for so long that I forget what's normal and what's not. But mm-hmm. when I first came across that term, I was also confused. And I was like, wait, which way around does it go? I don't understand. I remember when I was a teenager, you know, hearing about that the term, the word was transsexual people. Uh, we now don't use that word. We use transgender now um but not understanding kind of okay so if someone transitions does that make them straight or gay or how does that work and took me quite a while to kind of have that process of actually those are two unrelated things and that depends entirely on the person that is totally down to what their attraction is
0: um, yeah and i mean i think also you have to both of you being academic i mean the academic world tends to be very liberal in its views and i guess for me it's probably the opposite side I you know I grew up kind of on on building sites. I was a plumber before I started Horns of Odin so I kind of grew up in that very kind of masculine world where you don't sort of come across trans people or even I mean even in in the in the building trade you'll see many women or you'll see many much you'll see many black people there's a lot it's a very kind of white male orientated sort of world and so coming into doing this and having these conversations, I, I'll be I'll be completely honest. I've probably never, maybe once or twice in my life, had an interaction with with a trans person or a non-binary person. It's not something that that I kind of have often, and I imagine Mateus had a lot more sort of opportunity than I have been in kind of the, the academic world.
1: Well, I mean, to an extent. So when you say that the academic world is 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 more liberal than and elsewhere, I would like to contest that. That's not necessarily the case. <laughs> I mean, in some case in some ways, it looks like it. Um, but the, the the academic world is also incredibly conservative in many ways, and uh, is also all the different things that that the rest of of the population uh, in a given country is. Uh, I think academics are as as diverse as, as everybody else. Um, I mean, of course, there's always, depending on which kind of like social group you're in, there's always perhaps like a slant towards something, but, uh, but in in general, we find a lot of diversity there too. I mean, you know, speaking of these things of gender and all that stuff, I mean, uh, those who have seen me would probably not immediately assume that I uh, was an educator at a university. Um, I mean I I might more come off as some of like those guys from from your <laughs> the places that you you have been <laughs> hanging out I don't mm-hmm. know um but, and that's that's also in an, in and of itself it maybe an interesting uh subject to talk about like oh that so there's, like you know depending on what kind of social group you're in uh you're expected to look a certain way, act a certain way, speak a certain way, and so on, right? And and that's also not necessarily uh, yeah, that helpful all the time. I mean, if, when, if we open up the discussion to, like, all the different ways that you can be on the fringe of what is considered normal for a social group, right? I mean, what we have in academia is also a big problem with um, first-generation academics, right? Individuals who come from a working-class background and uh, have to navigate that whole uh s- the just the language of academia in and of itself right that can be incredibly uh difficult too so you know there are so many ways in which we as human beings can find ourselves on the fringe of 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 a, a what is considered normal for a certain group right um but yeah no with with uh, the 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 subject of gender we at Uh, At CU Boulder, we have a a policy um, that we, of course, uh, respect uh, the gender uh, identity of our students. So if a student um, asks us to refer to them with non-binary pronouns, they, them, um, we will do that. Um, And yeah, I mean, to be honest, I have messed that up before. Um, And then what you do is you apologize for it. And people tend to be very forgiving especially when you apologise for it. (laughs) That's
0: one thing that you mentioned to me yesterday, um, Matthias, you said, obviously, you you mentioned that we were having Amy on, and you said, oh, Amy, like, your, your, your preferred pronoun is they, and to me, that felt really offensive, to call somebody they, and them, like, it was very unusual for me, but it felt, it felt like an offensive way, almost like saying it, or something like that, and, and that's kind of the way how my mind was trying to get to grasp, you know, get grasp with, get to grips with it was, I was a little bit, com- you know, confused with it.
2: Okay, it's interesting, because I find that people more often struggle with they, them as pronouns, because they see it as plural only. So it's like, but I can't refer to one person as, so I, the example I always use is, so if, for example, your friend is talking about their friend and you don't know what gender there is, or even you do, but like you're talking about them in the third person, they're quite distant. You'll talk about them. You'll say, Mm -hmm. oh, they did this the other day. Mm -hmm. And I think it's actually quite a normal thing that we do and we don't realise that we do a lot. But because it's such a kind of like a background part of our speech, it's not something we focus on. It's not something that we do when we're talking directly about a person. So it does make sense that it's a little bit hard to get to grips to, to get to, to grips with, Um, but I think that's one of the really wonderful things about being able to have these conversations is saying well actually that's the pronoun that I use because I don't identify as a man or as a woman and that's what feels most affirming for me and then being able to learn from each other and kind of deepen our human connections I guess.
0: Yeah I think especially for, for somebody like me that kind of comes from this world it's right or wrong I've always just had the the habit of you look at someone and just go, he, she, and when, you know whether that's correct or not, and, and and you know it's never really because I haven't sort of had to interact with a, a lot of trans people, it's never really come into my mind where I even think about it, and that's you know that's not necessarily the right way to be. It's just that when it came to to Matea saying, you know, you would really like to prefer, prefer to be referred as they, for me, it's kind of like but that's so abnormal in the sense of what I would usually just kind of say that it felt offensive to use the word. And that's kind of like how it was ticking through my mind. And it was like, uh... but obviously on the other side, it's like, well, absolutely that I will use they and them because that's what you prefer. And that's, you know, you should be respectful to people. But also I was having like an internal battle of like, surely that sounds really offensive to just be like
1: they.
2: I think that thought process makes sense, though. Yeah,
1: and you know what? Uh, it's it, for me being a, a non-native uh, speaker of English. I mean, uh, there's there's also you know another language that barrier that I have to uh, deal with in that regard. And you know, as a Danish teacher at uh, at CU, I've I've had those uh, interactions with students where um, you know the the English pronouns. Um, then had to be applied to a Danish uh, uh, context, right? And using they them in a Danish context is talking to the queen. Uh, so, so that, that's how you address the queen.
2: <laughs> so, well, firstly, I would love to be addressed like that. Uh, and second, <laughs> uh, but I think there are also um, neo pronouns, so pre- uh, pronouns that have been created um that i think do exist in danish i want to say it's Hern, like with the bard o oh right I'm yeah i'm sure um, if i'm getting that like, confused
1: yeah so so that's that's a swedish invention that has been applied in da- danish too um but largely what what the what we do in denmark nowadays because obviously these conversations are also happening in denmark um, and we also have, um, especially at Copenhagen University, there's been uh, several discussions uh, about this, and it's actually interesting to see the very conservative reaction of the professors in Copenhagen. I had, a, uh, I was, I was on a program, <laughs> the radio program about this uh, not so long ago, actually, oh, well, like five months ago. But then anyway, um, no. Uh, in in Denmark, what we are doing, what it looks like we're doing, is basically um uh, you know translating the English they them now. And that's also what I've been telling my students in, in in that regard, um when I've been teaching them Danish, um that uh yeah, we we use this for uh the aristocracy, but um but uh, now we also uh, use it for non-binary. Uh, individuals so so there you go I like
0: that I think I think our listeners are going to enjoy listening to me and Matthias bumble our way through this episode trying to be <laughs> hyper hyper careful of everything we say I think we've stuttered more in this episode than we have in any probably all of them put together <laughs>
2: I think most people have that fear that kind of that fear around me it's like it's okay you can make mistakes i'm not going to be angry uh,
0: it's it's, tr- it's trying to think of everything you say before yeah. you say it to make sure you're not saying something you shouldn't say uh but like yeah, i think it rightfully so we should probably think more of, of what we say before we say it
2: nothing wrong with that
1: I would really like to hear uh, things about Nordic mythology. Actually, to be honest, because uh, I, I feel like there's a lot of interesting examples in Nordic mythology that we could discuss. Is there anything, Amy, that you would uh, uh, you would like to pick at um, any any good example of of uh, of well, what you call queerness, right?
2: Oh, where to start? <laughs> uh, I mean, my my first question is: Have you read Norse mythology? have you you read any of it I would think so
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think for me if we kind of start where we we started with the trans side of things and if you want to give us examples of that I mean I guess the one that stands out and you probably have heard more than ever will be Thrimskriever I imagine that's the one that gets recited to you all the time Um, if we start there and then kind of move through i mean one thing i really am interested in is kind of like i guess like the homosexuality side of things and any evidence of that that really interests me because at the end of the day you know we're all humans whether it's now or it was a thousand years ago and without a doubt you know there will have been gay people so i would like to i'm certainly definitely interested in kind of like how it existed if it's written down if it's recorded how people were treated, whether it was accepted, not accepted, all of those kind of things is one thing that I'd love to to get to at some point.
2: Absolutely. Um, so I guess starting with Trimskvida then, um, that is fascinating. I love it. And I think it's a really interesting one to explore a lot of different things happening there, because obviously most people, when you talk about it, particularly in the context of queerness, they're immediately going to go to Thor. But I think that's not the only thing that's happening in that episode and i think it's quite interesting um
0: should we just can you just give a quick kind of recap on what that is just so people have an understanding in case they haven't read it or haven't heard of it
2: yeah so um is a poem uh from the uh, from the edic poetry um in which basically thor wakes up and his hammer has been stolen and he's like oh no where's my hammer gone and uh loki's there and he's like well I think I think the giants might have it. I think I think Thrymur has got it. Um, so then Thrymur turns up. I think I can't remember exactly how he comes along. Um, basically, he says that he will give Thor his hammer back if Freya agrees to marry him. Um, so they turn to Freya and go, right, that's it. You're off to the giants. You're going to go get married now. And she's like, hang on a minute, I don't agree to this. I'm I don't care that much about Thor's hammer. So then I, I the think rest of the... I
1: think the the sorry to, to just interrupt yeah. you, but I think actually she, she she's more like, uh, fuck off, guys. <laughs> I think well yeah, that, she's yeah. That's she's, her
2: yeah, <laughs> that's probably, yeah, probably a bit better way of she's not happy at all. That's um, that British
0: politeness for you. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> My way of describing things. Um yeah, so then the, the gods basically look at Thor and go, "Well then, it's your hammer. You're going to have to go get it." So they get him dressed up as Freya as a bride and send him off into Jotunheim with Loki dressed as his handmaid. Um, and they go off together and they turn up and Loki's like, "Here is Freya, come to marry you." And the <laughs> the giant Thrima is like, "Okay, I will marry her." And then they have this big feast. And Thor, dressed as Freya, is there kind of eating all of this food and drinking all this beer, making a big old mess of himself. He's eating all the little pastries that are meant for the ladies. He's kind of very manually, uh, manly, that's the word, (laughs) (laughs) in his um, kind of description. And Threemur is there kind of like, well, why are you so hungry? Oh, well, you know, Loki's there. She hasn't eaten in days. She's been so hungry, so excited to meet you. She hasn't been able to eat in days. Oh, well, why why are her eyes so weird? It sounds very um Red Riding Hood at this point. Mm-hmm. Why are her yeah. eyes so big? Oh, well, she hasn't been able to sleep for days. She's been so excited to meet you. Um and then eventually they kind of have a bit of a scuffle and Thor's like, I don't want to stay here. I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna stay here and be your bride. He grabs his hammer and he runs off home. Um with loki following along still dressed as his maid
0: mm-hmm. so obviously i mean you can see why people would go to that as kind of like the the one idea once this topic of trans comes up that's kind of like the go-to point it's the one that i've seen people kind of refer to a lot
2: so i think what's really interesting in this one is that i wouldn't describe it as in terms of Thor, wouldn't describe it as anything to do with transness at all. Thor, in this context, is putting on an outfit, putting on a dress and going off to do something to get his hammer back because that's all he cares about. That's all he wants. Mm -hmm. Loki, however, I think is a lot more interesting in this episode because he also is dressing up as a woman to go with him to go with Thor. Um, So I think what you're getting here is kind of an element of different ways that people can perform gender different ways that people can do gender and that not everyone has that fluidity and that flexibility and that it's not something that you just put on an outfit but it is something a little bit more innate than that it is part of a general person who they are in a bigger way so with Loki that's much more accurate to how we know he behaves
1: so mm-hmm. I, I just yes. want to throw one thing in here because I, I was just looking at here in Andy Orchard's, uh, uh, translation. And I liked Andy Orchard's translation for, for one reason and one reason only. And that's what I'm going to read to you right now. And that's stanza 17 where, um, they are discussing the debating of dressing Thor up as, as Freya. And he says, um, and it goes, then Thor spoke the strapping God, um, Quote, the gods will call me a cock craver if I let myself be put in a bridal veil and that's why I love andy orchard's uh, um, uh, translations there's a lot of cock craver in's <laughs> like wow. that's, that is that is the the that he uses for this i guess um but it's just interesting um uh, that uh, that Thor says that right uh, so so that implies then that uh, this cultural standard that if you put on uh female stress as a male then then there's some kind of expectation that you lose your masculinity right
2: yeah, um and I think this is a really interesting thing to discuss as well because I think what we see is uh, time and time again when this happens is this so this word that uh, Andy orchard has translated as cockcraver is the word argur
1: mm-hmm. um
2: a r g r Um, which is basically a slur that is used towards men whenever they do anything that is deemed effeminate. And I think it's evidence that there was a sense of kind of queer phobia. So just because people did these things doesn't mean it was accepted. But I think people still, well, people still did them anyway. Um, Matthias, I forgot what you said.
1: (laughs) No, it was just, uh, (laughs) I was just uh, starting a conversation about how, how Thor fears that he... He will basically be be considered uh, unmanly, arger, um, yeah. yeah, a cock craver, um, yeah. No, and and, and it, I, I think it's an interesting um, subject in and of itself because uh, obviously this poem is a relatively late poem written in Iceland, and we know um, we know the Icelandic. Uh, attitude to this in 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 that period of time in the uh twelve, thirteen hundreds, 1300s we know from from the saga literature um there was a a lot of fear a uh, male fear of being uh called a homosexual um and especially being the passive part in a homosexual relationship they were very specific about those kinds of things and uh you know it's it's interesting to also consider what kind of society is is Iceland at the time right it's uh it's a, it's a society with limited resources, and in that context, you can include women as resources, like from the male perspective. Um, I, I think there's something like... A, a, there, there's a shortage of women in Iceland in this period of time, too, um, which could also, I'm just musing here, but could per, perhaps also have something to do with uh, how gender relations uh, develop. Uh, in different ways, and especially how males perceive them say, themselves. Um, you know, if 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 you literally have to go raid your neighboring village uh, to find a wife, um, which was something that was a problem in medieval Iceland. Um, well, one, <laughs> you know, could you so uh, also then you know fear becoming that wife yourself as a male, right? Um, yeah, so. I'd, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that stuff.
2: Yeah, I haven't really heard that kind of uh, concept before, that theory. That's quite interesting. And it makes a lot of sense because there is a lot of fear around being kind of that yeah, passive homosexual partner, being a bottom, essentially, in a uh, gay male relationship. <laughs> uh, and I, think- I love the
0: way you just came out and said that just what?
2: being a bottom <laughs> just, no, just just, straight to the point i literally titled one of my podcast episodes bottom shaming so oh, there you, you go know, <laughs> i'm gonna say it that's that's what they didn't want to be if you're gonna be a top they're not so bothered if you're gonna be a bottom that's when you've got a problem right.
1: um
2: yeah so i think it's quite interesting and actually Obviously, there's very little evidence to that and there's very little that we can say about it really. But I think that's the trouble with a lot of these topics is that there is so little evidence and we do have to kind of think circumstantially about what we can, uh, speculate about. And I think there's definitely, yeah, reasonable speculation that absolutely makes sense. That absolutely could be possible and it could be that that was the case. Um, particularly when we consider um, kind of sexual violence and the way that that could work and function within that society and actually if you know someone's going to choose to make a woman of someone uh, make a Mm -hmm. woman out of a man through sexual violence through rape you know that is something that we can't rule out and I'm sure probably happened on numerous occasions Um, and I think it's something that we need to consider within this discussion of the fact that you know these things may have existed doesn't mean they were good or bad. the f- kind of we have to kind of um we cannot pair the existence of queerness with any moral judgment that is overarching. We have to think about the fact that queer people existed. queer people have always existed. Queer people have always been good and bad in between because they're all individuals
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I think that's a really important part of that conversation.
0: One thing I wanted to ask, I guess was if you have a bunch of men on a boat for a long period of time <laughs> you can obviously <laughs> see where i'm going with this
2: yeah
0: now because i remember hearing somewhere what um the i think i think they use the example of like four people and if you had whether it's four men or four women i think there's like four roles that will appear whether it's like there will be an ultimate kind of like alpha male kind of type role and then you would have a more feminine role and then there would be I can't remember the other two, and whether whether that's like say that's four men, four women. These are kind of like roles that, as human beings, we kind of put ourselves into without really thinking about it. It just happens naturally, and even you can even have like mixed ones. And the the kind of like alpha male quote unquote role doesn't have to be a man, but it tends to happen that somebody will fill fill that role, and then there will be a more feminine role. So if you had four men, it would be safe safe to say that one of the men would become. Of the more feminine role, and you'd have the the typical masculine role. So, my I would assume that that would happen on kind of like the raids because you're not you're at sea for a long time. It's not kind of like a short journey. So, is there any evidence of like that happening or it being accepted and it being kind of like, yeah? I mean, it's just something I imagine because (laughs) as silly as it sounds, like I know men. And men, if they, it's whether you leave. If you leave fifty men on a boat, something's going to happen. I don't care whether they want to accept it, admit it.
1: (laughs) I don't care what you say. Men are men, and something will happen. Well, every everybody everybody needs a little affection once in a while, right? But that's it.
0: (laughs) And if I feel like,
1: I mean, I assume this this um,
0: this whole kind of stereotype of like the whole gay sailor thing. I imagine that comes from somewhere. And I imagine that comes from the fact that you have, it's very, I guess it's quite similar to to the Vikings in in a way that you get a bunch of men on a ship for six months at a time. And, you know, this stereotype probably comes from somewhere. And I just wondered whether there's any evidence of that kind of happening, whether it's been, it's mentioned or whether it's kind of one of those things that, you know, when in Vegas, well, what happens in Vegas, stays in Vegas kind of thing?
2: I can't think of any evidence, hard evidence off the top of my head. Um, It's something that is more likely to be in the sagas, and I'm not super familiar with them, unfortunately. Um, I tend to work more with kind of poetry and archaeology. But I think one particular saga that's always interested me is the Jomsvikinger Saga which is about, um, I think it's kind of a legendary saga about a group of men who basically they form a kind of a military band and they are meant to be kind of the top military band. They're very good. Um And you have to be 18 to join and you cannot be over 50 and it's all men and they have this fort um in Jomsburg and they're all very, uh very hyper-masculine. It's very much focusing on the hyper-masculinity of it all. And I think there's a rule that's something about they cannot have relationships with other women. And I think I've seen kind of people talking about this is, you know, likely so that they don't form intense bonds with people, so that they fight harder for their brothers, things like that. But I think it's quite interesting then of, okay, so what's going to end up happening? (laughs) Um, And I'm absolutely with you. I think it's one of those things where, As humans, I think as well, a lot of us have learned through lockdown, through kind of, you know, the world of COVID-19, that actually being touch starved and not having access to other people on a regular basis is really hard. Um, So I can absolutely see it being the case that, you know, on those long raids, even if there is no evidence or there is no uh, kind of specifically sexual acts happening, I think it's absolutely possible to speculate that at least once in that time, there will have been something happening. There will have been, you know, a hug that was a little bit too long or a a particularly nice kiss on the cheek or something like that. Um, Or a bit of a helping hand when someone's busy away doing something. Um, I think it's it's one of those things that we know that queer people have always existed, but that's something that we don't have evidence for. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that can't have happened
1: yeah i mean it I think... also if i can just like throw something in here so so with um the military culture if we can call it that right you know it comes a lot of the dependency on your mate you know the person that you uh um in 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 a- specifically in a viking context right you uh, uh have the concept of matna uh which is the person you share your food with on the ship right so 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 you're two people uh, working yours um, side by side and you share your food and you probably also share um, fighting positions uh, when you're invading, when you're attacking, right? Um, Maybe you share tent. uh, Like there's a lot of sharing that all of a sudden can come into that picture, right? So it is not improbable to consider that, you know, uh, some of these could have also, uh, Generated uh, very strong affections for one another, and possibly also have had sex with one another. I think that uh, is kind of like natural to assume that. Just want to throw one thing in about the Yom speaking God um, in uh, Olaf on saga. I think it is, um, if I remember correctly, right. We uh, we have that uh, that scene where the Yom Vikings are are enlisted uh, to um, well um, kick ass. In um, the uh, uh, the battle um, against um, Olaf, I think it's that one, right? Um, I might be mixing up two sagas here. Anyway, um, what we have the, the the scene that I'm thinking of here is one of the Jomsvíkinga says after he has uh, so he gets his hands uh, chopped off um, in this battle on a ship, then he gets his jaw chopped off too, and then then he takes um, a couple of caskets full of gold, and and also says, uh, strangely, without hands and a jaw, uh, says, uh, "Well, now uh, the pretty ladies, uh, the pretty Danish ladies on Bornholm uh, will uh, will not want to kiss me anymore." And then he jumps off ship. Uh, <laughs> just wanted to throw that out there. So that seems to, to indicate that at least some of them might have been. Um, if we can of course trust the sagas as evidence for anything um but you know had some kind of if nothing else loose relationships to women but i think it is really important to consider that uh, you know if, if there's any truth to what that you know warrior cult was um described as in the sagas yeah then then you are dealing with a bunch of males who have basically relinquished their former identities if i remember correctly they also assume names of ancient heroes um and I think Terry Gunnell once uh, pointed out that the you know if you're dealing if you have like a warrior cult where everybody has um shed their past identity and then assumed a new identity uh based off of the legendary heroes, then they are already dead, you know. These are warriors that are, are basically already dead. They exist for that own simple purpose of like going to war. Um, which, you know, in and of itself and you can speak of like gender identity you can speak about a lot of other identities right uh that that thing of like remodeling your identity that much brings you into an entirely different state of what you can and cannot do so that's also something to take into consideration
2: absolutely absolutely and something that i was just sorry that occurred to me as you were speaking about um the joms viking who had his hands and his jaw cut off and everything i think that's a really really good example of how we how and why we cannot apply our modern labels of sexuality onto the past because we so naturally go well this particular man you know was upset about the fact that a woman wouldn't want to kiss him therefore he must be straight and actually that's so uh damaging and so hard and. What we need to think about more is the acts of what was happening. So actually, it could be that every single Viking man ever, and I don't believe this, but it could be the case that every single Viking man ever was completely 100% heterosexual in our eyes. It doesn't mean that they didn't have relationships with other men because that concept of heterosexuality as we understand it now didn't exist. That was actually invented as a concept and as an identity in the late 1800s. Yeah, and before that's a that, very it was based point. entirely around acts. So actually, this could be someone who was happy to go with whoever, or go with no one, or mainly wanted to be with women. But actually, if if there was only a man there, fuck it.
1: Yeah, but you know, um, in the and- cis, so just to throw something in there, like in that cis uh, heterosexual male perspective of things, right? What uh uh what that scene right there is interpreted as is like this badass totally masculine dude who's like okay well I can't go get laid in Bornholm anymore so I might as well just kick it in the uh, the ocean right and that that's, that's <laughs> that right so so that's like something where you can sit there he's like a badass yeah cool man right um but obviously it doesn't necessarily have to be interpreted that way
0: to to jump back to what you just said Amy. Uh, I think you only have to kind of look at prisons as a good example of that as to where you get the kind of quote unquote gay for a gay for the stay or type of thing where men will get into loving relationships with other men. And, you know, they'll, they'll kind of make this, you know, get to a relationship where one will go out for yard time and that will be classed as going to work whilst the other one who takes kind of like the more feminine role will clean the, Clean the cell, but if you speak to speak to them, they will say, "No, we're not gay. It's just kind of the situation it is now, and it's that kind of men, kind of just, yeah. I I guess they will just they'll do what they want to do, and then make excuses for it or reasons for it or or whatever. And I think that kind of shows that people do whatever. I would say do what do what is available at the time. That's not kind of how I meant it, but. it fits
2: yeah works (laughs) yeah absolutely i think that's a really good example of that as well so
0: i mean is it is it safe to say that kind of like homosexuality was frowned upon in the viking time is that something we can see kind of that we can kind of say that you know that is their opinions or, or as a kind of a whole general idea it was looked at negatively or particularly being the, you know, particularly being the bottom to use your <laughs> your phrase.
2: I would say that on the whole it was not not encouraged, not recommended, not something okay. that they approved on on the whole. Um, we have a lot of evidence around the idea of ergi, so E-R-G-I, um, which is uh the same as the word argur that I mentioned earlier, um, which is a slur essentially of someone who is particularly a bottom. Um uh, someone who is being effeminate a man who's being effeminate, or it is also sometimes used for women and seems to refer to women who basically just like to sleep around a lot um which I've argued in the past is kind of evidence that it's more to do with breaking gender roles and doing something that is considered mm-hmm. wrong uh a wrong thing to do for your gender essentially okay um but in well partic- that would make
0: sense for it to be more particular at the bottom rather than
2: exactly the top
0: because yeah i guess the top is kind of to get a little bit crass it's kind of the same act as to whether it's male or female
2: penetration yeah it's that's the kind of the language that's used academically about it it's still the penetration the penetrative Mm -hmm. act um and it's whether you're giving or receiving um i have to talk about it quite frankly i'm afraid Uh, i'm sorry no absolutely Um, just, I,
0: I might she got a little bit red in the cheeks and get all embarrassed. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but we do have a lot of evidence, particularly in our law codes. Um, so I think it's in Graugaus. I think it's in some Norwegian law codes as well that calling a man Ergi, a, therefore accusing him of being queer in some way, was a very, very serious thing to do. And if you did that and you didn't have sufficient evidence to, back up your claim then that man had the right to kill you legally that was the retribution Um, in the same way that if you killed someone they could kind of revenge that killing it's considered to be the exact same thing because you're killing his reputation therefore he can kill you
0: Um, I guess that's kind of evidence that you don't want to be called queer you know it's not it's not something that you're going to take lightly
1: and we also have uh, saga examples of this of course we have krokarf saga um uh, which actually uh takes place um in in greenland um or parts of it at least um he is um is accused of uh of being a coward um and also of having homosexual sex uh, by 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 these uh people um who don't like him and um you know he he actually uh he runs away um after having uh killed a couple of them right um which is again w- which breaks the norms you you're not supposed to uh uh flee um but um but but this th- that saga has it's, it's a really interesting saga in uh, in so many ways. It has a lot of uh, sexual innuendo and implications, and and a lot of stuff going on in the subtext in general. Um, also, you know, uh, the threats of rape and uh, possibly sort of like a a, a violent. Um, if, well, it's he he basically spears a guy, um, <laughs> in one case also dressed like Odin, by the way. I think it is. <laughs> or uh, he dresses like Odin afterwards, but uh, but he spears a guy and uh and uh that that also seems to have some kind of like uh sexual implications. Um and then he dresses up as Odin and then he goes and uh, and proclaims his deeds to the king um in in sort of like this Odinic riddle too. Like so so there's like there's there's so much going on in that saga it's like I can't even I don't even know where to begin here. Um, but but it's an interesting example of uh, of how in uh, the medieval period Icelandic saga writers are also treating the subject uh, in and of itself, um, and sometimes it doesn't necessarily look like it's uh, because they are you know uh, adverse to it. Like this this saga in it, it particularly actually kind of seems like. It's trying to deal with the fact of maybe having those uh, uh, interests, uh, those desires. Um, So I don't know how familiar you are with that saga, uh, Amy. No, I'm not.
2: I'm not very familiar with that one at all, I'm afraid.
1: Well, I I, Um, I recommend reading it. It's a a really interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But I think it's quite interesting as well that you mention kind of his links to Odin in that as well. I wrote my master's thesis on the concept of Odin being a queer deity and Mm -hmm. kind of the implications that had and looking at um, various sources where he does kind of uh, perform magic that is considered to be very queer and uh, a figurine in which he appears, well, possibly him wearing a dress um, and kind of the implications that have and and I think it's quite interesting that therefore he's linked into that saga as well.
1: Is that Odin from Lyra that you, yes. uh, yes. Okay. This we got to talk about. So this is yes. one of my favorite, uh, little figurines. It's basically, Let's it's a figurine it. from, uh, um, that was found in, in Lyra in Denmark. And, um, that's in, so Lyra is the, um, uh, mythic, uh, royal seat of power. Um, according to uh, history writers um, like Saxo and so on, um, and of course, when archaeologists uh, have been digging around there, they found a lot of things. There's a great hall that they have found. That they also found uh, uh, evidence of. Uh, well, it, it could be some kind of royal seat. Uh, that's that's not um, out of. Uh, that's not a, a, impossible to interpret it that way. Um, and it's also, uh, of course, a site uh, of uh, religious significance in a pre-Christian context. A lot of ritual have taken place and so on. And I believe it was in 2010 12. or 11? 12, okay. 2009, um, no,
2: it was 2009, I believe it was found.
1: Yes, that, that sounds about right, because then we started arguing about it in 2010. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and... And this is a little stat- a statuette or figurine. It's not very big. It's made of silver. And it's a person sitting on a throne um, or, or a seat.
2: And can I just course. jump in and yeah. say, when we say not very big, it's, I think it's something like 1.1 centimeters tall. Yes. And it weighs so, nine grams. It's absolutely miniature.
1: Yeah. Um, and it looks it's- like on the back of the of the seat there are like either dragon heads or horse heads or maybe wolf heads depending on who you are and how you interpret it. Uh next to the figure on the armrests we have birds that could, if you want to, be interpreted as ravens. If you want to. Um they could also be parrots. I don't know. Oh no, no the beaks are, are straight, so they're probably not parrots. But um but two birds and then i believe there's also a snake head or something like that right Some,
0: how much stuff's on it. this thing if it's so small
1: well it's the, really
2: detailed for how small it like is
1: it's really um, detailed
2: sounds,
0: sounds amazing <laughs> yeah. i think we should maybe put a a link to it at, yeah, in the show yeah. notes
1: yeah we'll definitely do, do that um there might be a snake's head i'm not entirely
2: sure i but, don't know of one
1: no, okay. Um, there's just something that looks like a bent snake, a snake's head, like protruding from it, and I think the it's other probably of... the
2: uh, the backs, the the winged back of the seat that you're thinking of. No, this of. is
1: on the front. Actually, this is oh. like right where the oh. legs come down. Um, but uh, either maybe way, maybe I just uh, not missed it. Well, I I don't know if anybody has really talked much about it. But the interesting thing is, of course, that the figure itself, right, is. Is um is a figure that is wearing a cap, and has uh, something maybe maybe a scarf or something for uh, in front of their mouth. Um, maybe it's part of an armor. Who knows? Then it's got a cape as well. This figure, and something that could be interpreted as either an armor on on the front, or as um I have done myself uh as basically as uh, necklaces. Um, very similar to the ones that we actually find in graves, um, uh, female graves typically, um, and then it's wearing uh, what appears to be uh, uh, some sort of like long dress, right? Um, and so, yeah, the the initial interpretation was this was Odin, of course, right? Because you know we know the throne that Odin has, Um then, of course, there's also, like, if we want to interpret those two heads on the back as wolf heads, uh, then that fits the, the image of the wolves. And then there's the uh, birds on the sides that fits the ravens, right? So it's got to be Odin. That was uh, Tom Christensen, the uh, uh, museum uh, director uh, at Roskilde Museum, who interpreted it that way. And I couldn't disagree more <laughs> for so many <laughs> reasons. <laughs> but one of the most obvious ones is that, you know, the, the whole description of Odin's throne and the two ravens and all that stuff is, is Snorri Sturluson's inter- uh, interpretation of of an edict poem. Um, and the the edict poem doesn't actually... Describe these two ravens that are so popularly associated with Odin. It seems like it's describing his his memory and thoughts <laughs> more than anything else. So, 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 so that's one of the reasons that we should be very critical about such interpretations. But I will give it will give the word to you now, Amy, and and I would love <laughs> to hear what you have to say about that.
2: I mean, I definitely agree that it's incredibly hard to know. It's again one of those things where we will never definitively know. And I think that's something that I just kind of have as a caveat for most of the things we talk about. Um, I think that it's within reason that it could be Odin. Um, I think particularly when you look at uh, the face, there seems to be that only one of the eyes has a pupil. And of course, this figure is so tiny that it could be that it's, you know, and it's been underground for a thousand years. So it could just be damage. It could be that it was just never put in properly, like never given an eye properly because of the size of it uh but i think given what we know contextually about other odinic imagery of kind of having one working eye and one non-working eye in other so for example the Sutton who helmet uh, should i go through and explain that one the replica that was made Please. um So, uh, I believe a reenactment group decided that they wanted to have a replica of the Sutton Hoo helmet and managed to get in contact with the British Museum and it was allowed to be made. And the British, so the Sutton Hoo helmet um, is found at the Sutton Hoo site in Suffolk in England. Um, It's a very, very early Anglo Saxon grave and the richest Anglo Saxon grave and a ship burial that was ever found in England um and it seems to be very kind of uh closely linked to a lot of the stuff that we find in norse graves and as part of this wonderful helmet that kind of has a whole mask there's uh these eyebrows and the eyebrows appear to be inlaid with garnet which is like see that red stone so when they went to get this reenactment made the person who was doing it was looking at it and said well there's gold foil behind one of the eyebrows but not the other one do you want me to do it behind both or only one? Because I can't tell if this is a mistake or not. And they said, well, do it as it is and just do the gold foil under one eyebrow. And they did. And it doesn't really make a difference when you look at it normally. But then they kind of had their big, wonderful reenactment helmet. They sat down in a hall with a fire lit to use it. They put it on and one eye, the one eye with the gold foil underneath the garnet shone out really, really bright. And the other eye was really dim. So it looked like this figure, this helmet had one eye, just like in the mythology we have around Odin, where he gave up his eye to uh, me to Mimir. I've completely blanked now. <laughs>
1: yeah, so it's like he gave it to Mimir as well. Uh, his, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's iffy the way that it's described. But, yeah. yeah, yeah, for wisdom. He gave up, presumably. He gave
2: up his eye for wisdom. Um, so we have kind of a number of different things that show Odin as having one eye um, and that is kind of established part of his mythology. So the fact that this little figure only seems to have one pupil is suggestive that that could be the case. I think also the um, the cap that it's wearing is quite interesting because what we know about um, how women dressed in the Viking Age was very specific that they would have long flowing hair in a very specific ribbon knot style. So the fact that this isn't happening suggests that while there are some elements about this figure that seems to be a woman, such as the long cape and the jewelry, which reflects what we know women probably wore, there's also elements that don't match up with that. Mm-hmm. So I think and the def- original definitely...
1: interpretation, sorry, the original interpretation was that uh, you know this jewelry on the chest was a armor and you know our our good friend tom christensen here i'm i'm sorry to be shitting on you tom if you ever listened to this but uh uh <laughs> he was like going as far as like uh, uh interpreting the dress as uh, sort of like a, a long style cape from uh, you know ro- royal cape from or royal dress from um from from southern europe uh which i don't think actually would have been used at the time if i remember correctly but uh... Yeah, that, that, those are really you know, you know curious leaps that you make uh, when you want to interpret things in a certain context. So you 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 think that this is still Odin uh, though?
2: I think it's within the realm of possibility, and I think there's some other little things that I kind of fit together that make more sense to me as part of a bigger picture. So when I was writing my thesis, one of the things I was looking at was Odin as a queer deity. And in the evidence for that, it kind of links us with um, Samse and Hlese, which are modern-day Samsø and Læsø, which I'm sorry for my pronunciation, in Denmark, which are there small little islands, <laughs> small little islands just off the uh, west coast of Jutland, the main peninsula. The um, east coast, but yes. <laughs> Oh my God, I can never get that right the right way around. Yes, the East Coast. You're fine.
1: (laughs) They're they're in between (laughs) Jutland and and Sweden, basically. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And uh, Lyra is on Sheerland, which is the main kind of the big island that uh, Copenhagen is on. Um, And I believe uh, there are two Udinic place names that are close to both of those places. So I think it's on Leso. There is. Onsbjerg and there, there's a place called Onsville which is mm-hmm. probably the worst pronunciation ever that's the V-E-D at the end.
1: Uh, Danish um, is the worst language ever so yeah. don't worry about it. I lived there for a
2: few months and I, I tried so hard to learn and I just have lost everything and I yes. could never get the soft D right in the first place. Um, it's actually an L. All-
1: the, the, the <laughs> well, softy is actually an L
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> I tried and everyone told me I was wrong when I was doing that yeah, <laughs> <wrong>. um, <laughs> um, but basically there's this kind of link with this western Danish area particularly this, this general Danish area where all these myths seem to link to and all these objects um, so I think within a bigger picture of that it could make more sense for it to be Odin and without that evidence, I would be less sure. But I think by connecting those pieces, it makes me feel like it's within the realm of possibility.
1: Mm. Yeah. But no, it's like really... I say, we can never say. Right. Yeah. And it's really interesting because, uh, yeah, there's definitely something going on with like an Odin cult in, in, the, in the Danish area. Um, the, I believe Denmark is the only place where you find uh, these place names uh, that suggest uh, actual uh, altars or or something like that built uh, in dedication of Odin. In modern days, there, uh, it would be place names like Onsil, uh, which sounds more like uh, uh, Odin's herring. But um, that's, of course, thanks to a thousand years of uh, us butchering the Nordic language. Um, <laughs> back then it would be Odin's hill, which would be some kind of um uh, uh, some kind of building uh dedicated to Odin so that's really interesting um yeah no it's uh, going back to the cap that you pointed out i mean we know from uh icelandic uh culture uh in general that you know witches wear these knit caps um hekla for instance um because hekla the volcano looks like such a <laughs> witch's cap um there's a curious uh, a crossover between witches and volcanoes in in Iceland katla is another one uh so so uh, do you think perhaps that um that there's a specific significance to that cap that 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 it has something to to do with um you know maybe the ability to to travel between realms or something like that
2: well, so can I just check? So I'm not familiar with this concept. So when you say witch's cap, do you mean like a völva?
1: Mm-hmm. Is
2: that specifically to that? That's really what interests them, because that is, so obviously they practice seidr, which is the mm-hmm. specific form of magic that Odin is uh, accused, in air quotes, um, of practicing, and is very specifically kind of, particularly when men practice it, very specifically queer. Um, and that's kind of a big ongoing argument of you know what is that practice what makes it queer um but yeah that's really interesting i think i can't speak much to whether the hat itself seems to have magical properties um because there is so little we know about saver uh but again certainly seems to be within the realm of possibility that that is a reasonable interpretation
1: yeah, I mean we we have uh, uh right from Eric the Red Star who who is is uh, Völva, uh who who does some kind of Sadhir ritual and she wears it I mean her all her outfit is very specifically uh, mm. um uh described. And she wears some kind of skin cap. I think it's made of um uh rabbit or or cat or something like that. <laughs> A cat is probably the gloves I can't remember but you know it's, it goes into details about like all these different yeah. items that she has right and they to some extent they seem to reflect some of the graves that we also know the so called Furkat IV grave from Denmark where we had this uh woman that was buried with a bunch of pr- precious items and I believe the only grave that we know from the Viking Age with toe rings um, and a nice. metal rod and a little pouch with like Owls, vomit and mouse skeletons like this typical witch stuff basically. <laughs>
2: and <laughs> cannabis seeds. <at> yes.
1: <laughs> uh, no, henbane. Or... Okay. I think cannabis is is in one of the uh Swedish graves, uh, that are very similar, yes. by the way. Yes. So yeah, yeah. There are, uh, some psychotropic stuff as well. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, suggests some kind of you know role in magic, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, trances and that kind of ecstatic ritual.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's one thing that I need to ask, which is um, how much pushback did you get from, like, the Viking bros when you <laughs> dared to, to say that Odin oh, may be queer? Uh,
2: it has been quite hard. <laughs> <laughs> I have... So I'm quite active on Twitter, particularly with my research. Um, mm-hmm. and it's something that I can laugh off quite easily, but I have actually had piles on pylons from neo Nazis on multiple occasions now. Mm-hmm. Um, after a couple of weeks ago, um, this article in which I said, I think it could be a trans man went live. I'm now on, uh, me and my partner, who's a black man, and obviously that's part of why they're doing it, uh, using this particular picture. Um, they've been using it on, um, I think it's Nordfront, um, and all their sister organizations throughout, uh, Scandinavia so obviously a very big kind of um neo-nazi terrorist and uh political party organization um uh they have referred to me in the caption as the self-hating Amy Jefford Franks seen here with their <laughs> partner um and obviously they're using the part they're using the picture of my partner with me um because it kind of identifies me in their eyes as like a race traitor um and I think that's why I kind of for me I think that's why kind of anti racism goes hand in hand with this work. Um mm-hmm. but yeah I've had a lot of pushback. I've also had um Varg Vikernes has been in my mentions at least once um which was quite scary. So he is now blocked. Um yeah it's I've had quite a few run-ins with um the really nasty ones. Um I think the actual kind of slightly kind of just guys who like Vikings I've not really had any bad run-ins with them. Um, okay, they've been pretty chill about it. It's just like the really, really extremist neo Nazis that hate me.
1: Right. So, <laughs> so let's let's get just just get this straight. Right. Uh, you're doing research. Um, you're basically researching something that interests you. That's how we get into research. I I did my research on cosmology, and then uh, that went into volcanoes because. I am an Aries, so anything fire is awesome. Snap! <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
2: um,
1: and and I, I was interested in cosmology to begin with anyway, so that's that's what I did, right? Um, so we, we each have our own little uh, uh, areas of interest, and that brings us into research. And, and for that, you're being aggressively targeted um, by people who have specific political agendas. Yeah. Uh, let me just state uh, flat out, that is some fucking bullshit straight up yep like that is there's is, there's is no, no other way to relate to that than that is some fucking bullshit i mean uh, um we are uh researchers right and we have uh, freedom to do our academic research in these uh, um, uh, countries that we live in and we nobody should ever uh, be harassed or otherwise uh, targeted uh, for that um, i'm really sorry to hear that that is happening and it pisses me
2: off it's one of those things that yeah but i think so for me it kind of it does come with the territory and it's absolutely that's not me saying it's okay at all um i know it's not okay i know this shouldn't be happening to me um i have having been having to google my name every day for the last few weeks just to make sure that there's no other information out there about me and that there's no threats against me um but I also know that that's part of the territory with what I do, because for me, it is so important that I'm tackling that and that I am fighting against that because I I am very, very strongly anti-racist, anti-Nazi, anti-colonialism. That is a core part of my values in my work. And I think all of our work is um, never, ever without any kind of um, political agenda, whether we want it to be there or not. There is always going to be that to some level, whether we think it is or not. I think being able to tackle that and saying, well, actually, there are some things that we should not be arguing for and arguing for kind of white supremacy and um, kind of a neo-Nazi belief is absolutely not something that any of us should be doing. Um yeah, that's just something, and I, so for me, unpacking that in my work is also really important. So then that pisses them off more.
0: I think, I think it's absolutely hilarious that you get these people that will accept that, you know, accept all the, these wild things happening in Norse mythology. You know, Odin sacrificing his eye or hanging himself from a tree for nine nine days and stabbing himself, and or riding a horse that's got eight legs or he's got a spear that never misses. But then you say. It's queer, they kind of go, oh no, 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 no. Hang on a minute. Yeah. Not that one. That <laughs> one cannot be true. Or, is... or even as Vikings <laughs> as a whole, you kind of get like, you know, the, the idea in Northology they they rode to the, the battlefield on a ship of fingernails or whatever. And it's like, but maybe maybe one of or two of them kind of prefer wanted to be women. And it's like, ah. Uh, no, hang on a minute, that's a little bit too far as well. Like, yeah. that, no. And it's like, fucking come on. Now, you you can't accept these crazy <laughs> fucking things and then go, yeah, but that's, I don't like that. So they probably didn't do that.
2: And it's the fact that they're willing to believe that not only did Odin have this eight-legged horse, but this eight-legged horse Loki gave birth to by turning into a woman horse to have sex with a man horse just to distract a builder
0: that's i actually <laughs> wanted to ask about that because it feels like that's probably one of the the more queer stories in nostalgia surely especially Definitely. as we as we mentioned earlier kind of like that role of being the bottom the that is almost you know loki is is effect, whether it's a horse or whether it's loki it's still kind yeah. of the act
2: yeah I think it's an absolutely fascinating little part. So I guess as a little rundown for anyone who doesn't know, um, it is part of Snorri's Prose Edda, um, in which the discussion is around uh, the master builder and the gods have said, right, can you build us, I think it's their fortress, um, you have X amount of time to do it and X amount of resources, do it in this time or we won't pay you. And uh, basically they want Loki to... I think this Loki do something wrong. Yeah, so you know, Loki you know he does.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's he's the one responsible for suggesting all of this. He basically makes the deal with the master builder um, and uh, promises uh, him. I believe it's the sun and the moon and Freya, right? So again, mm. we have the situation of Freya, <laughs> Freya. Uh, being involved, right? Uh, <laughs> <and> <laughs> again, a bad again, we have. Time? Well actually does she now because like every time somebody <laughs> promises Freya to somebody or somebody wants to marry Freya um, you know it ends up with some one of the, the dudes having to dress up as a lady <laughs> or you <laughs> know, perform the tasks of a woman right so um, <laughs> I, I wonder who loses out here um, <laughs> the, yeah so no that's 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 the problem right uh, that uh, that Loki is basically the one who is like suggested this, have done this. Yeah. Um,
2: and obviously they don't want to pay him all of that. So they're kind of like, well, you got us into this mess. You're going to have to get us out of it. How are you going to do that? How are you going to make sure that he can't finish his building on time? And this builder is relying on his horse. So it, this horse is a magnificent stallion. So Loki decides that the best thing to do is to turn into a female horse, um, a mare, and kind of uh, seduce the stallion and they run off into the woods and they go and have a great hot night of sex and they come back and it's too late the builder hasn't finished on time he doesn't get paid but also loki's pregnant and he gives birth to sleipnir um and it's just it's it's <laughs> again that evidence of kind of this is such a bizarre bizarre thing to be happening but also so so, so queer and i think it's a really interesting kind of dichotomy of um not dichotomy, a challenge of the dichotomy around sex and gender um, and kind of how that helps make things better in the end.
1: Right, yeah. No, that makes perfect sense.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I feel it's quite funny that, the, you know, going back, that people accept that it's okay for Loki to turn into a a lady horse and get pregnant but But if he was a man... (laughs) yeah but if he was a man, then that would not be okay and it's like, well,
1: yeah, but that's that, the thing. how does that work you know, <laughs> you know it's just, it's there's a this basic disconnect between you know reality and uh and what people want to believe which you know if if we speak about that crowd, there's plenty of those going back to uh you blocking Vikanes. i mean Vikanes has written a bunch of books where he basically claims that the white race are like descendants of aliens, and I don't know what um you know, if you're willing to believe that, uh, but you, you're going to ditch the uh, uh, um, gender bending Loki, and then I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, I guess, I guess Vikings kind of have this appearance in modern culture as being kind of like this big, powerful man type figure that. Even down to like they the go raiding, raping, pillaging, taking what they want. And it's that very kind of masculine role that I guess attracts some of these cunty type people.
1: But you have to I think- also keep in mind, sorry, you have to keep in mind that like these ideas, they have been created based off of ignoring a lot of evidence. Like, for instance... Thor, oh, the manliest god ever. La, 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 la. You know, um, if you go to any uh, also true neo-pagan bloat somewhere in Scandinavia, you'll see the first, like, 15 macho dudes, like, hailing Thor and being all macho with drinking horns and getting drunk and I don't know what. And nobody ever uh, talks about him uh, dressing up as Freya and having to go marry a giant, you know. Uh, in that context. So that says a lot about like what people are willing to, you know, include in their perspective on all of this.
2: And this is kind of for me, what is at the very core of what I do and why I do it, is that the kind of the birth of this scholarly field as we know it was in kind of uh, the height of nationalism and a very particular form of white supremacy. Um, that was kind of around this colonialism and this idea that we as white Europeans can go out across the globe and do whatever we want to anyone who isn't a white European and kind of in order for that action to be allowed and to be understood as kind of a correct thing to do in white European mindset they had to believe that they were superior they had to believe that what they were going to go do was okay and as part of doing that you have to prove that your history is longest and best. Um so that's kind of this idea that you know uh Scandinavia as we know it now is descended from Vikings and that the Vikings were in this very particular way of being very uh strong people who went out and phrased it and took what they want. Who does that remind us of? Reminds us of the colonialists who went out and did that to other people around the globe um because they believed that they were superior. And I think that's not an accident. That is exactly how that narrative has been told and why it's been told in that way. And I think it's why it's so important we challenge that, um, particularly as well when we look at our scholarship, that isn't just something that happened at one point in time. Most of our scholarship can be traced through Nazi roots, particularly in the study of religion. Um, so I have proved through my research, for example, that the idea that there was a masculine warrior hall, that this was the culture, Actually, that was an argument that was developed by a man called Otto Hufler. He was a man who um, he was a researcher in the 90s, uh, 1920s and 30s. And he primarily researched this idea and argued for the Germanic continuity. So this idea that these military bands of white, able-bodied, cis men, heterosexual men existed continuously, from kind of the pre-Viking age right up to modern Germany. And that is why the SS should exist. That was the exact reason he made that argument. He was working for the Nazis. He was working for their think tank. He wanted to prove that the SS should exist because it has always existed in some form. And I think we cannot ignore how that exists in our scholarship and how it affects our scholarship ongoing. Because his arguments, his book and his work, are still recommended by professors today. If you look in kind of the key texts on this topic, you will still find that work being recommended and there's no discussion about the scholarly history of it. And I think it's why it's so important that we need to do that.
1: Absolutely. And, you you know, we, we have this with other very prominent theories like the Indo-European theory and the uh, tripartite functionalism uh, uh, proposed by Charles de Musil. Um Again, very... Easily supports anybody uh, who is interested in 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 claiming some kind of like et- eternal uh, hierarchy of peoples um, uh, in in a European context um, and and yeah I mean it, 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 we cannot deny that the that the research that we do today as scholars of Norse mythology um, and and much of this literature um, has a, a, a direct link to um, uh, Nazi ideologies. um, uh, Plenty of the uh, translations that were still used, plenty of the best translations available. um, uh, uh, Sorry, not translations, um, um, editions of the original uh, texts, for instance, uh, um, were were made by Nazis. (laughs) So so it's it's like so much of the uh, runic research, earlier runic research was made by Nazis. Um, so that's something that we have to address and always have to be uh, mindful of. That, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that the scholarship that they produced uh, is completely uh, useless. Ab- uh, absolutely not. There's some of it that is, that is definitely useful in different ways. But, uh, but there's also some of it that is straight up just Nazi ideology and nothing else.
2: Yeah. And that's what's important is that we question the... Historiography, we question that research and why it was created. And then we go back to the original sources and we go, okay, so does this theory still hold water when we actually look at the sources? Or can we see that there has been a manipulation here? Does this seem to be incorrect or not?
1: Mm -hmm. And I think that's just part of what we
2: should be doing as scholars anyway, but particularly with that kind of historical context.
1: Yeah. And, you know, this this actually has much deeper roots than just, you know, the 20th century or the late 19th century. It goes back to, uh, you know, the 1700s where, you know, Danes and Swedes, they were so busy uh, writing propaganda uh, against each other pretty much so, so that, uh, you know, we could prove that we were the most badass Vikings out there, right? That's the origin of the uh, mushroom uh, up Vikings uh, uh, and all that crap. <laughs> you know, you, you know like the story is about the stories about Vikings being on mushrooms when they went to war. It's like the stupidest idea yeah.
0: ever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, anyway, it's one last thing I want to ask you before we wrap this up, and I guess I kind of had this opinion that at the minute we get there's a big resurgence sort of in like Viking history, Viking culture, people being interested in it. And I kind of think that's tied to the fact that a lot of, um, I guess a lot of men are, there's kind of like a negative shroud around being masculine or some people think that. And I wondered whether there was a, or whether you thought there was a link between kind of this, this negativity of being quote unquote, a man or masculine and this kind of, Interest in these people who are seen as the ultimate masculine figure. And personally, it seems to make sense that they would be, but I'd certainly like to hear your opinions on that.
2: Absolutely. I've been saying this for a little while now. Um, I think that there is a crisis of masculinity right now in kind of our present society. Um, And we have rooted our ideas of the epitome of masculinity in the Vikings. And I think that's why there is such a resurgence. And we see that in so many ways. We see that in kind of this idea of the Viking warriors. We also see it in the idea of the uh, women warriors. Um, again, we're seeing that kind of that idea of masculinity is the best. Um, and yeah, so absolutely, I agree. I think it is that there is just a crisis of masculinity right now. And we see that masculinity as we want to see it in the Vikings.
1: But can I also just add that it seems to me like the, you know, uh, the, Popular idea of what masculinity is 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 you know being a irresponsible, violent idiot. Absolutely, <laughs> well, just... that is that is <laughs> most man is... I've ever met. Well, it's one of the least masculine things, in my opinion. <laughs> like, I mean, yes, sure. If like be be able bodied and uh and 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 go do your thing, but uh you know, being violent and irresponsible is is not is is not useful and um i think there there are more things going on than than uh, you know uh, people feeling that they cannot uh be masculine i think i think what we're dealing with is also uh, a lot of people feel perhaps trapped in this modern world uh for different reasons um and and it's hard to find a healthy outlet uh for 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 that feeling um and and you see people doing doing all all kinds of things. Um, and personally, I have always uh, uh, tra- channeled uh, uh, those uh, core aspects, I guess, of, of, of that like, stereotype of masculinity, the uh, ir- irresponsible violence or whatever you want to call it, uh, through heavy metal, right? Because you go into a mosh pit and you have a lot of fun there. But you're <laughs> actually being quite responsible in those mosh pits. Um, you know, you, you make sure that nobody gets really hurt um yeah. to to her
0: to hurt <laughs> yeah
1: yeah and then you know you you can you do other things too you know channel it through sports uh martial arts if you if you feel mm-hmm. um and and so on uh, it's not like i i reject any any like many of these like stereotypical masculine pursuits i just uh advocate that you put them in the proper framework you know in the proper context
0: oh, yeah, definitely i mean i I grew up playing rugby my whole life from, from being from a young age, right up until I I stopped playing three years ago. So I was 28. And after that, I felt kind of lost in the fact that I had this, this bond with teammates and I had this outlet for aggression and kind of all these other type of emotions, I guess. And once that stopped, I was kind of like, well, what do I do? I've got all this pent-up anger. I'm, I'm grumpy. And so I, I ended up getting into kind of, like you said, martial arts and sort of MMA, that kind of kickboxing. And I found that that is a, a, a good outlet for me to get rid of that, that sort of frustration and kind of masculine aggression.
2: <laughs> but I think this is one of the really beautiful things about masculinity is that we often think of this one stereotype of this kind of uh, irresponsible violence and there's so many other ways to be masculine and masculinity can be soft and can be caring as well Um, and I think that's something that is far too easily forgotten and I think that's something that we lose particularly when we focus on this idea of Viking masculinity is that it focuses on um, one form of masculinity and to kind of the absence of all the others and I think that's
0: the real shame yeah no Absolutely. that's that's a good point because I think to say myself as, as an example I guess I to most people I would probably come across as like the very kind of masculine person you know I've I've got a beard covered in tattoos I've spent a lot of time in the gym over my life I play rugby I do martial arts but equally I'm one of the softest most emotional people that there is and I'm not I have no kind of fear or uh, shame in admitting that I cry to I cry at films or if a songs on that I'll I'll have a tear or especially anything to do with animals. I get very I can get very emotional. You know, I watched a a video about um, a dog that had arthritis and took had started on CBD and I started I ended up started tearing up. I was crying especially because. One of my dogs at the minute is kind of like getting to, to older, he's getting arthritis. And I was, you know, I was crying. I'm not ashamed to admit that. And like, I, I certainly, I'm I'm more proud that I have kind of like this emotional side alongside, I guess, this, this tough exterior that people would look at and, and kind of probably prejudge on.
2: And I will actually say as well, in my experience, that that is the case for many men that I've met that kind of look like you and have that kind of stereotypical mm-hmm. Kind of very masculine look but actually are incredibly kind soft people um and i think it's such a good way of distilling how that masculinity can be so diverse and so beautiful yeah mm-hmm.
0: yeah i could say another another thing that i just thought of as well the more that i've done sort of like martial arts training kickboxing things like that and the more i've kind of found myself more comfortable in I guess, I guess. Look, looking after myself on the physical side, I've my aggression outside has kind of come down a lot because I think I feel like I don't feel more comfortable. I don't have to worry about things, and I don't have to worry about walking in a room and being kind of like the alpha male because I know within myself and comfortably within myself that if anything happened, I would be able to look after myself. So this kind of idea. That I have to portray that I can look after myself before anything happens, kind of disappears.
1: That's the real issue, right? I mean, a lot of this comes from insecurities that people harbor for different reasons.
0: Absolutely, and I I think with men, especially, like we all know, and I, I was probably guilty of it of myself when I was younger, of kind of you know you walk into into a bar and you kind of like puff your chest up and want to, you want to kind of. Have this this aura of that you you you're the tough guy or you're somebody that nobody wants to to mess with, and that is more based on insecurity than than actually being a tough person because like i say the more i've I've learned how to actually fight, I've kind of lost that insecurity and that 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 need to kind of wanna to prove to everybody that you that you're some sort of tough person. It's kind of that situation in America where if I I'd be I'd be honest. If I lived in America now, I 100% would own a gun, and I'm against guns. I think that guns shouldn't be allowed in America. I think a lot of the issues over there come from that, and a lot of people probably won't like me saying that. But if I lived there in this time right now, I would 100% own a gun, and that may sound hypocritical, but I just feel that at the minute it's such a hostile
1: place that I would it's like actually... that extra bit of security you know to be honest I, I, I there are some places that where where things are are pretty bad, but you know here we we're pretty uh uh peaceful i I was happy to see that there was a uh b l m demonstration in denver um which is like the largest metropolitan area around here um what was it two days ago i think uh where there were counter protesters and there was there was no uh no violence happening be- between them uh, they uh, seem to uh, be generally respectful to one another and that's the that's the general case you might you hear about these uh uh pretty fucked up situations in in certain places, uh, but overall America is still pretty peaceful i mean without
0: going too deep into it, I feel like it's a catch twenty two situation almost the and I guess it's probably the reason why most people have guns now is because most other people have guns. So whether you agree with it or not, like I would feel uncomfortable thinking, well, they've probably got a gun. And well, I, sure, I yeah, don't want no, to be pointed position. No. A... And I, I think that's probably where most people kind of get stuck in that case where they probably would prefer not to have guns, but for that to be the case, then everyone would have to not have guns because it's like, well... It's that fear of missing out almost. It's like, well, if there's a gunfight, I don't want to be the only person not to have a
2: gun. I don't think anyone should have guns. <laughs> I think guns <laughs> are bad. <laughs> I can understand it kind of within that hunting context. It does make more sense. Um, but I absolutely, I completely understand where you're coming from, this idea of like, well, if everyone's got a gun, then I should have a gun as well. But actually, what we need to do is just take away all the guns. <laughs> and it'll fix magically fix everything absolutely that's how it works yeah so there's
1: there's there's a there's there's an aspect of this that is actually quite important in terms of like people sustaining themselves um in in many places here uh, in the u.s uh access to food um and proper food uh, can actually be tricky um the county uh, uh next to to us like um so that's a like a municipality right Uh, they are a food desert they don't have a place where you can go grocery shopping like a like a regular supermarket Um, uh, we have one in town here um, and it's expensive so uh, imagine what you can do in terms of like supplying yourself with uh, additional meat uh, from from hunting deer and elk and so on Right? that's that, that can actually be a considerable economic uh, advantage mm-hmm. uh, for you, especially if your you know yearly salary is uh, you know twenty thousand, thirty thousand um, dollars. Yeah, uh, it's it it can be really expensive actually uh, to live here. And hunting and fishing is a way to to supply,
2: of course, uh,
1: yourself. Uh, so so that's actually a part of the reality too. Um,
2: and I think it's where it kind of you see this as like part of a bigger issue in terms of like the entire social structure is. Not supporting the people the way it should.
1: Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Good I point. Think, <laughs> I
0: think it's it comes down to like an ignorance thing again. And kind of to loop it back to the the topic, it's kind of like the fear of things that you don't know, or you don't interact with, or you don't understand. I mean, ten years ago, I was very anti-hunting. I was very kind of against it, against the idea of it. But that's because I didn't know any hunters or I didn't understand hunting, and I kind of just saw. Hunters is this elmer fudd type character that went around the woods shooting whatever they wanted and kind of it was it was a big fun joke and whereas when i got to listen to more podcasts and doing more research it's a very it's much more complex than that and you know there's a lot of respectful hunters out there who who are you kind of see this big overweight hunter whereas a lot of them are in shape because they have to pack the meat out you know it's the hike hiking for for miles on hours to and they'll you know they'll stay out there for days to find one animal and then have to hike it all out and it's not this it's not this idea of this these big fat guys walking around just kind of shooting whatever they want and laughing about it and oh they you know that's
2: consistent kind of, oh exist. no they do they do and that's kind of <laughs> they that's absolutely the they do and,
0: and that's kind of why you get this this huge negativity towards hunting when there is also a lot of plus sides to it
2: to say i think again it comes back to cultural difference and kind of the way that we interact with these things so where for you matthias it's kind of you know people hunt for food that's not something that would really happen here in the uk like where we think of hunting at least as far as i'm aware you know primarily we might think of fox hunting for example which is just rich people with their dogs on their horses chasing after foxes for the fun of it it's a sport it's nothing to do yeah. with eating or you'll think twats. of people go who go to kind of they see it as africa they won't go to a country in africa they'll go to africa as a continent mm. and they'll mm-hmm. go and shoot endangered animals to get pictures with them and for the trophy of it and i think that's also where there's a big difference there in kind of what we think of when we think of hunting because for me i wouldn't think of that food element
1: no and that's the thing i mean it, so and, and as Western Europeans, we, we're generally very urbanized, right? Um, and that's the same in Denmark. Um, but even in Denmark, there, there's a pretty substantial hunting culture. And uh, a lot of people also hunt for food uh, in Denmark. There's, there's plenty of deer, for instance, to hunt uh, in, a, in, a, in a country like Denmark. And obviously, when you go to Sweden and Norway, uh, Finland, you have much more um my sort of like very comfortable relaxed uh, relationship to to guns and hunting comes from my childhood in greenland where you know a lot of the stuff that you ate in general was hunted or you know you from came from the ocean uh, so that's that's just you know uh, you know living in in a place now where there's a, a considerable hunting culture is is it's just normal to me um obviously we also have those uh, guys who uh, um uh, uh you know pack seventeen uh, RA uh, AR fifteens and all kinds of like crazy armor and I don't know what. Um in a place like Colorado. They're they're everywhere in the US I guess. Um but that's that's the that's just the situation um too. That that that, that is apparently legal here. <laughs> <laughs> So. I think I
0: think we could probably do a whole other episode on this.
1: <laughs> yeah, we could definitely could.
0: I think it would be an interesting episode to speak about kind of like hunting in the Viking at just some point as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: So, um Emma, it's been fun. I think this is probably the longest episode we've we've had. And like it's say been I hope fun to chat. Uh, I think so. <laughs> I hope I didn't say anything I hope I didn't say anything too offensive.
2: No, you're all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: Let's thank see you- if- I would like to thank you so much for your contributions. I really think they're interesting uh, interpretations of the mythology and and the archaeological material as well. Because I, I do very much agree with you that there's there's so much we don't know about the Viking Age. There's so much we don't know about that uh, corner of the European past um, that to have you know an assumption that oh everybody was just like either uh, male or female and uh you know being female include these particular roles and being male include these particular roles that's that's of course not going to be the reality of the situation so I, I think it's very valuable uh research that you're doing.
0: Yeah I think it's good that somebody is doing it and I, I think there's one last thing I'd like to kind of
1: say or get I
0: get straight is that um I think if if anybody's of the mind that the kind of like queer or gay people didn't exist in the viking age then you're completely wrong and the fact that it doesn't matter whether whether in the viking age it was illegal or you were punished for it or for, for any reason like we have to remember that up until recent times it was illegal to be to be gay or in some cultures it's still illegal and punishable by death and people are still gay or queer like it still exists. So it doesn't matter whether it's now or whether it's a thousand years ago or whether it's two thousand, three thousand, four thousand years ago. It's, it's part of human nature and it will have existed and it will have happened. So I just don't want anybody to to listen and be of that mindset of, you know, no, they weren't gay Vikings. Well, yeah, they fucking was. So get over it. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Exactly. And really well put.
1: <laughs> yes, and I want to want to uh, add one thing to that, and that is that it's not a choice either, because you know if you have these cultures where where it's it, it literally punishable by death, uh, if it were a choice, uh, I guess people would probably choose something different. Just absolutely to put that out there, right?
0: It's it's insane, and it's just I feel like it's insane that that anybody would be of the mindset that there would be people. You know, in 2020, they the run the risk of losing their life. But yet a thousand years ago, that wouldn't have been the exact same thing. And like, gay is like a modern invention or something. It's like, well, no, it's not. <laughs> it's just being a human. Like, yeah, exactly. Who gives a fuck what someone else does? Like, let, exactly. people do, let people do their own thing. Unless it directly affects you, who cares?
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: 100%. Anyway, um, let people know where they can find you, find your work listen to uh, your ideas
2: yeah you can find my podcast vikings are gay on spotify apple uh this podcast kind of anywhere that you get your podcasts mm-hmm. and you can also find me on twitter at queer Tier, so that's uh queer and then t y y r oh yeah.
0: who had the t y r
2: oh uh, I, it's because i wanted to make it the long y <laughs> and i couldn't add the little accent.
0: Oh, okay. I, <laughs> I thought somebody had already stolen it. And,
2: no, uh... no, no. I wanted to make sure it was a long Y. <laughs> so okay. I put two Y's.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Um, obviously, people can find Matthias at Matthias Nordvig on Facebook,
1: Instagram. Instagram. You can find the Nordic Mythology channel on Facebook as well, um, where I obviously post a link to this episode uh, in, in all our episodes and yeah you can also go check my website um um nordic mythology com. um so yeah
0: yeah that's it and you can you can find me my personal instagram which i'm trying to use a little bit more is d underscore farrand one because somebody does have d underscore which is slightly annoying <laughs> Or if you want to follow the business it's just at horns of odin So yeah, this is wonderful. Thank you very much, Amy. It's been it's been good. I think this is one that I'll want to listen back myself and kind of like pick up on different things that we've spoken about.
2: Well, thank you for having me. It's been great.
0: Thank you very much.